Well, my name is Jim Riley, and uh, my wife, Melissa, is right down here in front, and our younger of two daughters, Allie, is here with us, and we live in Eaton Rapids, Michigan. We have been blessed to pastor Eaton Rapids Assembly of God Church there for 18 and a half years now. Um, Melissa has taught sec yeah, thank you, yeah. I don't know if you're applauding them or us, but thanks. That's good. They, they deserve it. Melissa is a second grade school teacher, and uh, we, we love our city. We love pastoring, but we also love Pastor Norman Barb, and we are so honored to be here. And uh, man, what a gift they are to you. We got to spend time with them last night and this morning, and um, you're, you're blessed. I think about when Paul in Ephesians says that he gives gifts to the church, and I really believe that Pastor Norman Barber, a gift that he gave to this church and this community and, and each of you, but, but let me tell you this, I also believe that each of you are a gift that God has given to them and to this church. And, and when a church and their pastor can come to realize that, what an incredible, unifying place that is to be when the pastor is recognized as a gift from God, but also the people. And so I'm just so grateful to be here with you today and uh, excited to be here with you today. And, and we're going to look at Numbers chapter 13. If you want to turn there, we'll read some verses out of there in a minute. But how many of you are old enough to have seen the movie The Great Outdoors? You ever see that movie, The Great Outdoor? John Candy fans, like I love John Candy, one of the funniest guys to ever walk the planet, and Dan Aykroyd, and, and if you've not seen the movie, John Candy is a really lovable guy, a lot like me, just a, a big, jolly guy who loves the outdoors and his family, and he's the guy that, that wants to get the pontoon boat and just go for pontoon boat rides and stay in the cabin where his dad stayed. Just a family guy, down-to-earth, regular guy, and he takes his wife and and son's up there to this cabin. I think it's Minnesota, maybe. And then his brother-in-law, Roman, played by Dan Aykroyd, Roman in his Mercedes comes flying up, and he's the hot shot, you know, rich guy, fancy, the suits and ties and gold rings and watches. And, and one of my favorite scenes from the movie, I was going to play it for you this morning, but there's uh, a cuss word in it. And so I, I didn't know how much Pastor Norm cussed on Sundays, so I didn't want to risk it. Um, I didn't know, so I didn't want to take a chance, but uh, there's a scene where Roman and Chet are sitting on the porch of this cabin. They're looking out of this beautiful lake. Are you seeing it with me? Those of you, you're seeing it, and they're sitting on the lake, and uh, they're looking over the lake, and Roman, the businessman, and Chet, the good old boy, and, and Chet says, uh, Roman, what do you see out here? And it's a lake and pine trees. And he says, I'll tell you what I see, a multi-million dollar mining operation. I see a lot of waste and refuse. You package up medical waste. You do this. You knew that if the resources are there, you strip it. You mine it. You make millions of dollars. You, you can turn this into an incredible business with thousands of jobs, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I ask you, Chet Ripley, what do you see? You remember what he said? Trees. <laughs> I see Trees. <laughs> Today I want to talk to you about vision, and my sermon is called, How's Your Vision? I'm a, a colorblind guy. I'm actually colorblind and tacky, so don't ask me for anything stylish or matching things. Um, thankfully, I didn't choose my shirt today. Someone else did. But I remember one night driving with Melissa, and, and I love sunrises and sunsets. 
It just never gets old to me. It's just that the sunsets and the stars in the sky just still to this day put me in awe of who God is. And I remember driving down the road with Melissa one night and I'm looking at the sunset and I'm just, I'm just awestruck. And I said, honey, look at the sky, how beautiful and gorgeous that sky is. All the colors and the sunset and the clouds and isn't it incredible? And she goes, honey, it's all a bunch of different shades of gray. So what are you talking about? She said, it's gray. And I thought, well, thank God I'm colorblind and have vision. I can see things that are beautiful. <laughs> but, but how's your vision today? I want to talk to you about a story in Numbers chapter 13. We're going to read part of it here. You'll see it on the screen. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Now, just to give you a little understanding, the Israelites are only about a year or two into the Exodus. They have left Egypt. They've already seen the miracles of God. They've been through the Red Sea. They've had the manna. They've built the golden calf already. And now they're about two years into this exodus. God is showing them the promised land. It's right here, guys. It's right here. The promised land that is for you, here it is. Moses, send some spies in there. Check it out and have them come back and tell you what they see. Verse 4 through 16 lists all of the 12 tribes and spies who he sent. So jump down to verse 17 with me. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country. This is the area, by the way, where God gave Abraham the promise. Where he said, This is the land I will give to my people. And he says, See what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. And whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage, be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time of se- was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkel, cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried this cluster of grapes on a pole between two men because they were so big. And they also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkel because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Verse 25 says, At the end of the 40 days they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, 
The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we were, are well able to overcome it. Do you see the differing reports taking place here? Did you ever wonder why God sent spies into the land? This past week, as I was reading through this over and over again and preparing to preach it, I kept asking myself, why would God send spies into the land? He already promised the land. He already told them what it was like. He described it to them. He said it will be a land flowing with milk and honey. It will be better than anything you've ever seen. It will provide everything you need. It's going to be the best. So why would God send spies into the land? I think it was to test their vision. I think it was to test their vision. Because it's interesting, they came back and they saw it as God described it. The land flowing with milk and honey. It is, as God said, it's fruitful. It's incredible. They saw what God told them they would see. And then there's that word, however. You see, they saw some other things beyond what God told them they would see. Verse 31, the men who had gone up with Caleb said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. Okay. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seemed to them. Numbers 14 is the rest of the story where, where the people get mad and rebel against God and Moses. The people get angry at Caleb and Joshua who give the good report and say, listen, we know there's giant, we know that it's fortified, but God is greater than that. God can get us there. God can bring victory in that situation. But the other 10 spies and the rest of the people, they rebelled. In fact, they wanted to stone Moses, they wanted to kill him, they wanted another leader, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. Are you kidding me? They saw, listen, they saw what God told them they would see. Can you imagine if God gave you that promise and you went and saw it and then because of some things in the way you decided it wasn't enough and you decided to go back to the bondage God once delivered you from? That's what's happening. And so then Moses pleads on behalf of the people. God's like, Moses, I'm told you I'm sick of these people. I've had it. I don't know how you put up with them. I just want to kill them all. And then you go in the promised land. And even you I'm not super happy with sometimes. And Moses pleads. And, and Moses says, now God, let's think this through. Can you imagine the conversations between Moses and God? When I read them, I think to myself, how did he talk to God that way? Because this is what he says. He says, God, now think about your reputation here for a minute. If you kill your people, all the Egyptians and those who see it will say, yeah, see, even God couldn't deliver his people like he said. That's pretty smart, Moses. You know what? Fine. I won't kill him right now. And he said this, though. He said, those ten tribes, 
That generation of spies, they will not see the promised land. He said, you're going to go march around in the desert for about 38 more years. I'm going to kill those 10 guys with a plague, and their generation will not see the promised land. And as you know, (laughs) the Israelites marched around the desert for 40 years because of their rebellion and their lack of faith, and I would argue their lack of vision. They couldn't see things the way God saw things. In fact, the Israelites decided they would go up to a battle shortly after. And as they went to go to battle, Moses stopped him. He said, guys, where are you going? The Lord told you not to go to battle with these people. They will defeat you. And they said, no, we're going anyway. It should be an easy victory. We're going. And Moses said, you will lose because the Lord is not with you. And I think to myself, how often does God give us a promise, a direction, a calling, a purpose? He tells us what, what it's going to be like, and we see it, but for some reason we choose to rebel and go the other way, and we find ourselves distracted and engaged in battles that God is not with us. And we wonder why we continuously live in defeat. We wonder why we continuously live a life that doesn't seem to, to prosper the way that God said he would prosper us. The way that God said he would bless us and be with us. I think it's oftentimes because we are engaging with battles and God's over here going, I'm not with you there. That's not where I want to be. Get over here, son. And that's what the Israelites are doing here. That's what's happening. So, So let me talk to you about a few things. What does this mean for us? I want to talk to you about sight and vision for just a second. This is my own definitions, by the way, just because it fits my message. So I'm not Merriam-Webster or whoever the dictionary dude is, but this is how I describe the two. Sight shows us what is, but vision shows us what can be. You see, that promised land, God told them what it can be. God had a vision of what that promised land would be like for his people. Church, can I just assure you today that God wants his best for his people? Not always the easiest path, not always no struggle, but always his best. When you become a child of God, when you become a born-again son or daughter of God, he wants his best for you. And that's his vision for you and for your life and for your future. But how often do we let our eyesight get in the way and we just see what is, but we fail to have vision for what can be? Because that is what ultimately hindered and messed things up for the Israelites. They saw what was there. In fact, they saw the good and the bad. I love grapes. Can you imagine clusters of grapes where you got to haul them out on a pole like that? would be incredible. <laughs> and pomegranates. I love pomegranates. My wife makes me eat those because they're good for your prostate or something, apparently. I don't know. Is that too personal to share today? I apologize. You'd have preferred the cuss word, wouldn't you? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. 
But just think about that, all the grapes and pomegranates and figs, which I would make into fig newtons, but still it would be good. And, and I mean, just think of it, and it's flowing with milk and honey. It's like, wow, that's better than God described. And, and all they have to do, listen, think of how simple this is, church. This is all they have to do. Just walk in. It's right there. How close are you to God's promises being fulfilled in your life, and yet your vision is not what it should be? And you let your sight, seeing what is, hinder you from the vision of what can be, and you turn around and walk the other way, and you go to the same old things that have hindered you and kept you in bondage for so long. And then you wonder, God, why don't you bless me? God, why don't you answer my prayers? God, why haven't you healed and restored my marriage? God, why? 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 And God's saying, hey, you count yourself as blessed because I want to kill you, but somebody's praying for you that I don't. Right? But sight is showing us what is. Vision is showing us what can be. So I ask you this morning, how's your vision? God had already promised them that land. It had been promised to them since Abraham. And God had performed miracle after miracle after miracle. Even in chapter 14 there, God is saying, Moses, they don't even believe me after all the miracles I've done. It's not going to change their hearts. They're not going to believe it. They're going to keep doing this. God had already proven himself. He had been faithful. He had given them the promise. He provided for them. He got them through that first couple years. He, he forgave them for building the golden calf and worshiping an idol. He forgave them for lacking faith. He forgave them for not wanting to follow God but wanting to go back to Egypt. He kept, he kept his word. He kept his promises. And yet when he said, here's the promised land, we're there their vision hindered them because all they could see what was in the present. And they saw the land was the way God promised. Milk, honey, grapes, pomegranates. But I think this is what happens sometimes. You see, God never said there wouldn't be opposition or obstacles on the way to the promised land. God never promised them that they wouldn't have to overcome something to get there. And I wonder how often do we run as soon as opposition comes? I, I believe we live in a world today where, where we have made things easy. And somehow, some way, we have become conditioned in our culture. I say this as a generality, but we have become conditioned in our culture to think that nothing bad should ever happen to us. Nothing bad should ever happen to us. Nothing bad should ever happen to our children. And life should just be easy. Life should just be pomegranates and grapes. And we're convinced that nothing bad should ever happen. And if it happens, then it's a horrible injustice towards me and my family. How could this possibly happen? I don't deserve this. This is an injustice and wrong. Think about the way that so many raise their kids. If you have kids in here, I'm not going to try to offend you, so please don't be offended. 
But how often does your kid fall off their bike and skin their knee and a parent acts like it's the most horrible thing in the world? I thought it was fantastic. I'm not kidding, man. We had a gravel driveway, and one of our girls fell off, and Melissa wanted to run out. I'm like, don't go help them. They're crying. Yeah. Builds character. Builds character. So-and-so was mean to me. So what? Builds character. I got hurt. You'll live. Builds character. It's biblical, guys. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What an incredible two verses. And I don't want to gloss over that because I want you to understand this today, that you, when you belong to Jesus Christ, you have an access to God the Father himself. You don't have to go through a person, a place, or any hoops. You, because of Jesus, have access to God. That's part of one of the benefits of being a believer and a son or daughter of God. That's great news. Isn't that super encouraging? Man, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. And then Paul, that jerk, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? What does that have to do with anything? Paul, why? Why? Because without suffering, we wouldn't really need access to God, would we? Why would we need God if nothing bad ever happened or nothing difficult ever happened? If we could handle everything ourselves, why do we need God? He says, not only that, we have access, we've been justified, we have peace, we have hope. But guess what? We also rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I have a simple theory of why our world lacks so much hope today. It's because they lack character. It's because they lack endurance because they've never had to endure suffering. And as a parent, let me encourage you, let your kids suffer. Not too bad, but enough. Seriously. Let them endure some difficulty because that suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character and that character produces hope. And that hope never fails. You see, God God didn't tell them that the promised land was going to be there without obstacles. He didn't tell them that promised land was just going to be here. Here you go, sweetheart. Go ahead. It's all yours. There's opposition. There's obstacles. There are things bigger than us that we have to face. But that's so that God can overcome them for us. I've asked our church recently and our board and myself, and I've said, what are we doing as a church that requires faith? Everything we've done as a church, we've been able to do on our own. But what have we done that requires faith? What have we done or seen accomplished that we couldn't possibly do without God? Sometimes it gets pretty comfortable to be a Christian, doesn't it? It's nice. We get up on a Sunday morning, take our showers, most of you, and get dressed and put on deodorant and drive to church or ride in a car and sit in the 
air-conditioned place with comfortable chairs and listen to great music, be encouraged, and go on our way. We get pretty comfortable, don't we? But what, what are we seeking God for, trusting God for that requires faith? Caleb and Joshua trusted God by faith. God gave them a promise. They saw it. They didn't care about what was in the way. They trusted God for it. When God challenges us to accept his vision for our lives, it often reveals to us the hindrances and bondages that are still holding us back. Some people, like the Israelites, would rather go back to slavery, oppression, misery, than trust God to overcome what is standing in the way of his promises. God made the Israelites wander 38 more years just so that the 10 spies and those of their generation would die off and not be allowed to see the promised land. And listen, we can certainly turn down God's promises, provision, and blessing in our lives. You say, Pastor, I would never do that. Yes, you probably would. I'm sure I have. And we don't even realize it. We have the ability to turn down God's promises, his provision, and his blessing in our lives, especially when we would rather go back to something that seems less risky, more familiar, and easy. We just like familiar, don't we? We just like easy. We just like less risk. And our nature is to see with our eyes instead of trust the vision that God gives us. And as soon as there's a giant in the way, as soon as there's a wall or a fortified city, we're like, yeah, that's not really worth it. I like, I like where I'm at, Lord. We're good. No, you don't. You complained about it the whole time, you moron. <laughs> like, seriously, they complain about it all. God delivers them, and they're like, oh, we really like that. Let's go back. Oh, my gosh. If that doesn't tell you about the grace of God, I don't know what does. People are ridiculous. We are. And we don't even realize it. And yet God still loves us. God still has promises for us. God still has purpose for us. God still has plans for us. And he hasn't given up on you. But when we're in desperate need, where do we turn? When God has put a dream or promise in your heart, what do you see? I want you to think about that this morning. When God puts a dream or a promise in your heart, what do you see? Do you see the dream? Do you see the promise? Do you see the vision? Or do you see the obstacles, the hindrances, and the seemingly impossible battles? So many Christians settle for less than God's best because they lack vision. Their eyesight's perfect. They can see everything wrong with the situation. Our sight is great. We can see every obstacle in the way. We can see every reason why that won't work. The land is flowing with milk and honey, grapes and pomegranates and figs. However, our sight is great, isn't it? 
It's our vision that lacks. We can see every little thing in the way. We see every possible thing that can go wrong, and then we lack vision. But I ask you this morning, has God given you a promise or a vision in your life? Maybe he's given you a promise or a vision to start a new business. Maybe he's planted a seed in your heart to start a new business, to create incredible wealth, to invest in the kingdom of God and win thousands of people to Christ. But rather than see that vision, all you see is why you can't or what would stop you. Maybe God has put it in your heart or given you a vision or a promise to start a foster care ministry, to give children hope, to have no hope. But as you begin the process, you see all the reasons why you can't. Maybe God's given you a promise or a vision to feed people. Maybe God's given you a promise or a vision and called you to missions. But you have a hundred reasons why you can't. Maybe God has called you to ministry. Maybe God has promised you a different job, but all you see are the reasons why not and why you can't take that job instead of trusting God to do what he said and what he promised. What has God promised you and given you a vision for that you have seen the obstacles, the hindrances, the giants And you've gone the other way. You've gone back to the same old bondage because it's comfortable, because it's easy, because it's familiar. There's a story that Paul Meyer shared back in 1981 called Preference of the Known. And he said several generations ago during one of the most turbulent of the desert wars in the Middle East, A spy was captured and sentenced to death by a general of the Persian army. The general was a man of intelligence and, surprisingly, compassion, and he'd adopted a strange and unusual custom in such cases. He permitted the condemned person to make a choice. This was their choice. The prisoner could either face the firing squad or pass through the black door. As the moment of execution drew near, the general ordered the spy to be brought before him for a short, final interview. The primary purpose of this interview was to receive the answer of the doomed man to the question, what shall it be, the firing squad or the black door? It wasn't an easy decision, and the prisoner hesitated, but soon he made it known that he much preferred the firing squad to the unknown horrors that might await him behind the ominous and mysterious door. Not long thereafter, a volley of shots in the courtyard announced that the grim sentence had been fulfilled. The general, staring down at his boots, turned to his aide and he said, do you see how it is with men? They will always prefer the known to the unknown. It is characteristic of people to be afraid of the undefined. Yet I gave him his choice. 
His aide looked at him and said, well, what is it that lies behind that black door? The general said, freedom. And I've only known a few brave enough to take it. Church, there's incredible freedom when we're walking in obedience, faith, and the promises of God. But too often we sacrifice that freedom because we go by what is seen instead of God's promises that may be unseen. So I ask you this morning, how's your vision? How's your vision? How do you see things this morning? How do you see your situation this morning? How do you see it when your pastor or board gets up and shares a vision or a dream for your church or your community? Do you see the dream and vision that God puts in their hearts, or do you see all the reasons why it would never work? When God challenges your family to something and puts it in your heart, do you get excited about that and have a vision for what's going to happen when you fully trust and obey God? Or do you sit down as a family and make a whole list of why that would never work? How's your vision, church? There's a phrase in that passage in Numbers 13 and 14. And... uh, I want to make sure I read it word for word for you. God said this, None of those who despised me shall see the land. But my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. I believe they had a spirit of faith. I believe they had a spirit of boldness, a spirit of confidence. Because what did Caleb say? Yeah, it's just like God promised. There's some dudes in the way, but we can take them. Let's go. Let's roll. Seriously, we've been waiting a couple years, guys. It's the land God promised. Let's go get it. And all the rest, no, 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 no. I want to challenge you today to be men and women of God that when God looks down on you, he says, they got a different spirit. That guy... He's got a different spirit. I know I can trust him with my best. That lady, she's got a different spirit. I know I can trust her with a big dream. That teenager, (laughs) that kid, got a different spirit. I'm going to trust them with my best. Will you stand with me this morning? And here's what I want to ask you to think about for a minute. Has God put a promise in your heart or a dream that hasn't yet been fulfilled? I'm not asking you what it is. I'm not asking you to raise your hand and say yes or no. I just want you to think about it. 
Because here, here's my heart's desire for you. My heart's desire is that he has, but if he hasn't, that today he would. That either he has and you're chasing after it, he has and you're going to decide to chase after it today, or he hasn't and he's going to give it to you today. Because God created you on purpose for a purpose. And it's not your purpose. It's his purpose. It's an eternal kingdom building purpose. And there may be obstacles in fulfilling that purpose. Let me rephrase that. There will be obstacles in fulfilling that. Not maybe, there will be. Because God has put a different spirit in us, church. He's given us a spirit, I believe it's in Revelation, that says of an overcomer. It, it's, it's too long that, that as Christians we've been wimps spiritually. We're, we're just too focused on our sight instead of on vision. And we have, we've lacked this, this spirit of overcoming, but that's the spirit that was in Caleb. That's the spirit God saw when he said, Caleb, you get to go in because there's a different spirit in there. And it's the spirit of an overcomer. And he wants to put that same spirit in you. He's given you the promise. He's given you the promise, whatever it may be. The land flowing with milk and honey, giant grapes and pomegranates and figs. Everything you need. Everything you need. We just need a spirit of overcoming. We need to have a spirit of an overcomer, but that starts with having the right vision. So let's bow our heads for a moment because I want to give you opportunity to make your way around this altar in a minute and just, just pray. And, and I just want to, I want to ask you this question to start. I just think the, the Lord has put this in my heart to ask you this right now. How many of you just feel tired? Raise your hand. I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually, emotionally. Yeah. You know the devil wants to wear you out, church? The devil doesn't need you to fall into some great sin and fall away from God and renounce Christ. The devil just wants you busy, distracted, isolated, occupied, and worn out. And when we allow that to happen, we lack that spirit of an overcomer because it just seems like too much. You know, God, that's really cool, but man, I'm just so tired. And yet, what does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible also tells us in our weakness, his strength is perfected. We're resting too much in ourselves, church. We need to let go, hang out with Jesus, and let him strengthen us and restore that spirit of an overcomer in us. So before I ask you to join me at this altar, let me ask one more question. Is there anybody in this room today who does not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? 
and you want to know him today, to be born again, forgiven of your sins, and have the promise of eternal life in heaven. Does anybody need to pray that this morning? Just raise your hand before we move on. I don't want to leave anyone out. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Here's what I'd like to do to close church. You two that raised your hand, I'm going to come back to you in a minute. Here's what I'd like you to do. If God has put a promise, a dream in your heart, but you've been hindered by the obstacles, I'm going to ask you in a minute to come to this altar and ask God to change your vision. If you've had a dream, a plan, a vision from God in your heart, and you've been pursuing it, but it doesn't seem like it's happening, I want to encourage you to come to this altar and ask God to renew your spirit of overcoming. And if you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, I don't have a dream, a vision from God, I don't know. I want you to come down and ask him. And I want you to say, Lord, I want a dream and a vision. And I want a spirit of an overcomer. And I want to accomplish incredible things in the kingdom of God for your glory. So if you're any of those three, would you right now just join me right here at this altar? Either side. And is there somebody here that's part of your prayer team, by the way? Point, raise your hand and wave at me for a minute. Somebody that's part of your prayer team here? Would you raise your hand and just go right to the back center? And the two of you that raised your hand to know Christ, would you meet those ladies right back in that center aisle and just let them pray with you for a moment? That would be fantastic. You know, I think oftentimes the hardest part of obedience is the energy to take the first step, right? That first step. And you just did it. Actually, you took the first year 30 if you were sitting in the back. You did it. And, and you're, you're putting action to your words this morning. You're saying, God, talk is cheap. I want to put action to my life. I want to be an overcomer. And, and church, be encouraged. The, one of the coolest things about Jesus is that up until this moment, maybe you've been like the 10 spies. Maybe you've been like the 10 spies. Maybe you see everything as a bad report. Maybe you see every hindrance and objection and, and, and possible defeat. Maybe you're one of like the 10 spies. But you know what's awesome about Jesus? Is right now in this moment, he will change your vision. You can now have a different spirit in you. The spirit of an overcomer. So don't let, however long it's been, if you're like the 10 spies before, Jesus doesn't care. What he cares about is you're here right now. And he says, that man, that woman, they want to have a different spirit in them, I will put it in them. As they yield and surrender to me, I will put a right spirit in them. Father, I thank you for every man and woman gathered to this altar this morning. Father, I don't know where they've been. I don't know what the past has been like. I don't know if they were like the 10 spies, if they've been like Caleb and Joshua. Don't know. Doesn't really matter because here we are right now. And moving forward, this moment is what matters. 
And God, I believe that every person standing here, either you have already given them a dream and a vision, or you are going to. So if you have and they have struggled stepping into that and walking into that and obeying that, I pray today that they have that new spirit in them of an overcomer. That they no longer have sight to see why they can't, but they have vision to see why you can. God, for those who have been pursuing that vision and dream faithfully and obediently, but yet maybe growing discouraged and tired today, that you renew, refresh, and strengthen them to hang on just a little longer. Lord, it might feel like it's been 38 years of wandering around the desert to get to the promised land, but Lord, you will get them there. Strengthen them. Strengthen them. And God, for those that are standing down here this morning seeking a vision and a dream, oh, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Put it in them. Put it in them today. Put your dream and your vision in their hearts today. God standing before us today is an army of men and women who do not want to live normal, average, everyday lives. They want to live lives of overcomers for the kingdom of God. So put the dream and vision in them, Lord. And God, help them not to be blinded by their sight that sees all the hindrances, obstacles, and reasons why not, but may they be driven and motivated by the vision of what will be. God, pour your spirit out upon these people, upon this church, upon this community. God, I pray refreshing, renewing, and strengthening for Pastor Norm and Pastor Barb today. God, that you minister to them during this time away. God, that you, again, pour out your spirit upon these people, this church, and this community that you would be glorified. Give us your vision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, God bless you, and thank you so much for letting me just hang out with you this morning.